0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Anybody glad to be here this morning? Yes, indeed, I'm glad to be here this morning. And Kevin's already talked about last Sunday, and I, I have a little bit of a confession to make. I've never had more fun in church than I had last Sunday. Yes, indeed, and I kind of floated on that all week long. It was uh That was a really fun time. It was a time that God connected with us in a very special way. And uh, I want to reiterate a principle that Kevin already shared with you and that is the same God who met us last Sunday is here this morning, correct? Yes, indeed, and he has something just as profound that he wants to do in our lives and uh, so I'm excited to be here this morning, and I hope you're excited to be here. For those of you who are newbies, you are our honored guests this morning. So we want to welcome you. You belong here just as much as the regulars do, uh, because uh, God doesn't love the regulars any more than he loves those who are here for the very first time. I have a couple of promises to make to you. Uh, The first promise is that I'm not going to do anything that will put you on the spot or that will make you feel awkward, and neither is anybody else because you're our guest and we don't put guests on the spot. Second promise I want to make to you is that everything I say this morning, I'm going to say in terms that everyone can understand. So the goal is not to leave anybody behind. We're going to talk about some very, very foundational truths of Christianity this morning, and we're going to have a whole lot of fun with this and uh, so I want to welcome you into that process while I'm finishing some introductory words. If you would open your programs, take out the fill-in-the-blank notes. <clears throat> we're going to walk through that as, as we walk through our Bible teaching this morning. Before we get into that, I uh, have something I want you to say. So I'm going to say it to you first, and then we're going to say it together. Okay? Here's what I want you to say. It's April the 3rd, but Easter is coming. Ready? It's April the 3rd, but Easter's coming. What day is Easter? April 24th. That means it's three weeks from today. Now here's what what I really want you to get. On any given Sunday, about 500 people come to New Life right now and receive teaching, and God's been changing lives in some very, very profound ways. And as the staff and I have been praying about Easter and preparing for Easter... God has given us a very clear directive, and that directive is he would like for us on that Sunday to double the attendance. In other words, God wants to bring 500 new people into the church on that Sunday so they can hear the message of Jesus. How does that sound? Does that sound like a great thing? Absolutely. It sounds like a fabulous thing, not, not just for numbers, but those are real people who need Jesus. You know, the truth is, there are hundreds of people in our communities who are looking for answers in life, and they've never once thought about looking for those answers in a church, because if you talk to them about church, they think church is probably dry, it's boring, and it's irrelevant to their life, and they have no clue that they could actually come to a church like New Life, where exciting things happen every single Sunday and where God meets with us and changes lives. And uh, God made it very clear He'd like to introduce 500 new people to that concept. So that means we have to get prepared. You know, we did a little bit of that last Sunday. Uh, we we had no idea. Kevin and I talked about wh- what might take place last Sunday in advance, and we said, you know, what's the worst that could happen? We'll waste a few gallons of water, and he'll stand on one side and I'll stand on the other, and we'll just be lonely up here, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So the deal is, God said, get prepared. So we went out and bought shirts and got towels and all that kind of stuff just to get prepared because the truth is God seldom brings us more than we are prepared to receive. And the same thing will be true at Easter. And so let's get prepared to minister to 500 new people on one Sunday. Let's give God a chance to speak into their lives. So I want you to pray with me about that, would you? Lord, uh, even now, as we get ready to receive your teaching for this morning, we pray in advance about Easter Sunday, that, that Sunday when more people are likely to attend church than any other Sunday of the year. And Lord, we know that some of them, a bunch of them, will be looking for answers. And maybe for the first time, they'll think about finding them at church. So God, would you work in our lives give us sort of divine appointments with people in our world that we could invite and that would come to church with us and and that would sit here and would have you speak into their lives in ways that would bring hope where there's hopelessness, in in ways that would bring clarity where there's confusion, maybe in ways that would bring peace where there's chaos. So Lord, as, as your family of believers as the, as a community of faith, already we pray and know that you will do that through us. And even now we pray that you would teach us out of your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oftentimes when I visit with people and uh, talk with them about um, living out their faith, they come to me and they will say, but pastor, I'm afraid as I live out my faith, people are going to ask me a question that I won't know the answer to. Now, you know the great thing about being a pastor is you automatically know all the answers. (laughs) Actually, you know that's not true, right? People ask me questions all the time, and some of them I know the answers to, and some of them I don't know the answers to. But that should not hinder me from living out my Christian faith in front of them, and that should not hinder me from from inviting them to come along and participate in what I have found in Christ. Even if I don't have all the answers. I don't have to have all the answers. But here's something that we all need to know. We need to know that our faith rests on solid ground turned on the TV the other, the other day and they were showing a story of two little kids that got in quicksand and it took about 45 minutes to rescue them and both of them sunk up to their armpits in the quicksand and the more they struggled the deeper they got I don't want my faith to be built on quicksand how about you? No, the more I wrestle with it, the more I want it to be on solid ground. So for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at three very critical questions in life. Number one, is there a God? Number two, can I trust the Bible? Can I trust the Bible to be what it claims to be? And that is the Word of God in human language. And number three, is Jesus more than a man? Was He just a great teacher? Was He just the best teacher or was he actually God in the flesh? Because the truth is, your Christian faith, my Christian faith, and the entirety of Christianity has its foundation on those three questions. And if the answer to any one of those is no or maybe, then your faith is not on solid ground. So we're gonna look at those. And we're gonna come up with very definitive answers for those this morning. And as you can see, I've brought along some props I have here a jar of dirt, I have over here a boat motor, and I have here a mirror. And they all have something in common that they're going to teach us about the existence of God. So let's jump into that, but before I give you the teaching about the existence of God, let's talk about how to deal with doubts. And I'm going to point you to a passage of Scripture. It's up here on the video screens, and it's out of the life of John the Baptist, now John the Baptist, who was the prophet who lived and right at the same time of Jesus, and his one assignment from God was to point everyone to Jesus and to declare that Jesus was the Messiah the Savior of the world, and the one the Jewish nation had been waiting for for centuries. That was his job. And he had done it. He had preached tirelessly for months and pointed people to Jesus and said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You think I'm good? I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Why? Because this is God in human flesh. He preached that for months. Now he's in prison. Life doesn't look so good. Notice what happens. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things Jesus was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? That sort of shocking to you, that someone who is a prophet of God and spent months, maybe even three years of his life, two or three years of his life, pointing people to Jesus, somehow has a doubt? And would you call that a significant doubt? that's a big time doubt isn't it now he goes on to say <coughs> Jesus told them go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen here it is the blind see the lame walk the lepers are cured the deaf hear the dead are raised to life and the good news is being preached to the poor there are three wonderful principles we can learn from that principle number 1 is everyone has doubts that's just the way it is everyone has some doubts and usually the doubts surface when life is not going so well have you noticed that yeah when everything's going well we don't have trouble believing it's when life gets tough well it's the same way with john the baptist when he was out there preaching pointing everyone to jesus jesus was doing miracles and people were flocking to jesus john was going hey this is really good and then he gets thrown in prison doesn't get to preach to anybody doesn't get to see anybody he's down there in a dungeon and pretty soon he's thinking am i really sure It's not how I thought this was going to turn out, okay? So everyone has doubts. Number two, Jesus does not get angry when we have doubts. In fact, I, I want you to insert the word honest because we've all known people who did not have honest doubts. They were just sort of playing the devil's advocate for all of their life because they didn't really want to believe, so they just spent their whole life trying to come up with questions that no one could answer by the way, Jesus doesn't have a whole lot of patience with that. But when we have honest doubts, he doesn't get angry. And principle number three, which is what we're going to do today, Jesus provided answers by pointing John to look at the evidence. He invited John to look at the evidence. Jesus didn't say, of course I am, John. Wake up, dude. He he didn't do any of that stuff. He just said, you go tell John this. If you're doubting if I'm the Messiah." Tell him about the deaf. Tell him about the blind. Tell him about the lame. Tell him about the dead who are now living again. And then invite him to draw his own conclusions. And friends, that's exactly the way God invites us to process our doubts today. When we have doubts, God says, here's the evidence. Go look at the evidence and draw your own conclusions because the evidence is overwhelming. And this morning, we're going to look at three evidences that there is a God, and even more specifically, <clears throat> not just that there is a God, but that God is the God of the Bible. And it's not surprising that God would speak over and over in his, in his teaching about his own existence. But I'm not just going to use the Bible to prove the existence of God, because there's a fault in that. Anyone could write a book and claim to be anything, and if the only thing you do to prove that they are what they claim to be is quote their own book, you see a problem with that? I see a problem with that too. So we're going to look at some principles in Scripture, and then we're going to go out into the, into the world outside of, of the Bible, and we're going to see if the world actually confirms the teaching of Scripture. So let's go to evidence number one. Thank you. Evidence number one is possible origins. The very first verse in the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now you might not realize it, but every single idea that has ever been postulated about the origin of life and the origin of the world and the universe that you and I live in, every single idea, concept, possible theory out there actually can be boiled down to two things. Okay? Either matter existed and life came from matter, or God existed and matter came from God. That's why we have a jarter. Because it all comes down to either matter is eternal or God is. Because whether it's the Big Bang Theory, which basically teaches that everything in the universe started out as a tiny, tiny particle of super, super condensed uh, of matter, and it exploded into the universe that we have now, which is why the universe is moving apart and all that kind of stuff. That, it, But you get back to, so where'd that matter come from? So either matter is eternal or God is. Either the non-living gave birth to the living or the living created the non-living. And there is no other possible thing. It all comes down to those two things. So let's ask ourselves a couple of questions. And here they are. Does life coming from non-living matter fit the pattern of what we have observed in thousands of years of recorded history? To be sure, there is a lot of power in matter. Okay? If you've been following what's taking place in Japan, those nuclear reactors, that's just, that's just the power of matter being unlocked and unleashed. Okay? It's all around us everywhere. In fact, the earthquake that rocked Japan, that was the forces of matter just taking their natural course. The tsunami that followed the earthquake, those are the forces of matter and the forces of nature taking their natural course. The, to be sure, there's a lot of power in matter. But we're asking ourselves a question. Does the force in matter matter Apart from intelligent guidance, does the force of matter tend to create order or chaos, tend to create life or destroy it? Well, if you look at the forces of matter that you see in things like earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes and all those sorts of things, where the force of matter is unleashed apart from intelligent guidance. There's no human being or intelligent person guiding it. Does it tend to create order or chaos? What do you think? Chaos. Does it tend to give life or destroy life? Destroy life. Even the less uh, forceful things like rain. Okay? Apart from intelligent guidance, if you subject the world to continual rain, what does it do? We have floods. Does that Create order or chaos? Chaos. Let's take sunshine. If you expose anything in our world to continual and unfiltered sunlight, what happens to it? Yeah. You see, the truth is the forces of matter, apart from intelligent guidance and balance, always become destructive. So if we're talking about matter, apart from any intelligent guidance, giving birth to the complex and beautiful forms of life that we see, that just doesn't stack up very well. But now let's ask the flip side of that question. And that is, does life coming from God, and in specific, the God that you and I read about in the Bible, does the life we observe with our eyes, does it tend to fit the pattern of what he has revealed about himself in the Bible. Which one of those is more likely to be true? Friends, when you think about the fact that the most intelligent people in the world for several thousand years now have tried putting all of their collective reasoning together, have tried to create life from the non-living, you know what I'm talking about? Life in a test tube sort of thing. How successful have we been at that? With all of our intelligence pooled together. Not very successful. And yet, if you believe that we all came from dirt, and that we all came from matter, and that there is no God, you would have to believe that by itself, and of itself, matter created everything that exists. And apart from that, you'd have to exist where you'd have to answer where did this come from okay because the truth is whether you believe life originated from god or you believe life originated from matter at some point you have to say but i don't know where that came from because that is true i would rather believe i don't know where god came from than i don't know where dirt came from okay that's why Did you notice in the very first verse of the Bible, both God and dirt are mentioned? Did you notice that? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the dirt, the earth, okay? They're both there. And those are the only two postulations that have ever been given. So, so much for the dirt. There's the first principle, and it's a very, very powerful one, and that's the principle of possible origins. And there are only two in the history of mankind that have ever been postulated, really. Now, let's take evidence number two. Evidence number two is this. There are fingerprints everywhere. And here's how God spells it out in his word. They, that is people, know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. Okay? Now that word that's translated obvious there in other translations is translated by the word evident, which has the same root word as evidence, correct? Now he goes on to say, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky... Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Now that's exactly what God says about the entire human race. And that is, if you're looking, it's all there. I like to look at the world as an absolute crime scene with evidence littered everywhere. Okay? The truth is, you could take your, your finger, you could close your eyes, and you could point anywhere you wanted to point in the world, and if all you did was investigate whatever your finger pointed to, if you investigated it to enough degree, you would find within it tremendous evidence of God's existence no matter where you pointed. So I'm going to give us a couple of questions, and then I'm going to give us an illustration, and we're going to refer to our boat motor here, all right? And here are the questions. Does the design we see in our world fit the pattern of what we would expect if it came from the random forces of nature? Or the flip side of that is, does the design that we see in our world fit the pattern of what we would expect if it came from the infinitely creative God of the Bible? Let me ask you a simple question. We have a simple boat motor here. How many of you would choose to believe that someone designed this? Okay? How many of you would choose to believe that this was an explosion in a factory somewhere and, and somehow a boat motor came out? No, we all laugh at that, right? That would be stupid to look at that. and say, No, nobody designed that. I think that just accidentally happened. Given enough time and enough plastic and metal, somehow it formed itself. Now, I'm going to give you, there are three basic parts to this particular boat motor. Up here at the top, it's an electric boat motor, there's a rotor that turns, and then down this shaft is what we call a drive shaft, and it's connected to a gearbox out here, and we have a propeller. Now, all of those have to be designed to work together correctly or the boat doesn't go anywhere. Okay, the rotor has to fit the drive shaft, the drive shaft has to be correctly fit to the propeller, the propeller has to be the right size and so forth, because if this if this motor and this drive shaft were connected to one of the propellers on the Titanic, the boat's not going anywhere. Everybody understand? They all have to work together. Now, whoever designed this probably pretty proud of it and, and probably has one in his house going, I designed that, that's pretty cool. But did you know that the design for this boat motor has been in the world for, for thousands and thousands of years? It actually has... The design for this boat motor existed in creation from the creation of life. And I'm going to point you to an example. Okay? How many of you have heard of the E. coli bacteria? Okay? Not something you want to get, however. Correct? But in the... Something as nebulous and as... Little thought about as the E. coli bacteria, there is the design of this boat motor. For every E. coli bacteria has a rotor, a drive shaft, and a propeller. And that's how that little guy navigates his way into and around the flesh of human beings and other animals and and does its work. And scientists actually refer to its rotor, its drive shaft, and its propeller. Now, I want you to think about this. Uh, I did did a little research and I found out that the most expensive engines in the world in terms of vehicles are those that are in Formula One race cars. And those engines turn at about 19,000 RPMs. They make 19,000 revolutions per minute. And that means that the G-forces of the pistons in, in a Formula One race car, uh, the G-forces are about 10,000 Gs. Okay? It's hard to keep those engines together for very long because there's tremendous forces. But, you know, they pale in comparison to the little engine that God put in every E. coli bacteria. Because the engines in an E. coli bacteria operate at 100,000 RPMs. We don't have any engines that operate at that speed. And the engine that God put in an E. coli bacteria is so tremendously designed that, you know, if you were to run a motor and you could run it at 100,000 RPMs, how long would it take you to stop it without destroying it? Did you know that the engine in an E. coli bacteria can go from 100,000 RPMs to zero in one quarter of one revolution? And then it can rotate in the opposite direction at 100,000 RPMs and do it all in a millisecond. Now, you know something? I said you could take your finger and point anywhere in the universe, and and if you investigated, you would find that kind of design. You know what that means? It means that there's somebody out there who knows a million times more than the rest of us all put together, don't you think? Yeah. Because the truth is, God said the evidence is everywhere. And it is. No matter what you want to investigate. You will be blown away at the design behind it. And if you're not willing to look at this boat motor and think it just happened, then how could you look at something as internally and externally complex as our entire world and believe that somehow without intelligent design it came into being? It just isn't reasonable. Okay, let's go to number three. Number three is the mirror. It's time for us to look within. Okay? And then let's look at our own human nature. Here's what God says about our human nature. God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And that leads us to a couple of questions about our own nature. And here's question number one. Does the universe Do the universal characteristics of our own human nature fit the pattern of what we would expect if we actually evolved from matter and had no connection to a God? Or... Do the universal characteristics of our own human nature fit the pattern of what we would expect if man was created in God's image? Well, here are five things that can easily be observed about human nature. Number one, we have a universal moral conscience. No matter what country, no matter what civilization, no matter what point in history, you can pull up and you can study any group of human beings who have ever listed, who have ever lived, and they all have a pretty much universal moral conscience in which they know that violence and murder is wrong, in which they know that stealing is wrong, in which they know that telling the truth is right, in which they know that love is good, in which they know that hate is bad, and, and you just go right on down the list. There is a moral code stamped into our human nature, and friends, we don't get moral codes from dirt. We get them from God. Yeah, that's God's image in us. Number two, we have a universal sense of a transcendent purpose. There's no group of human beings who have ever lived who has successfully lived believing they had no purpose, no transcendent purpose in life. Why? Because we have the image of God in us. We were created in the image of God and God does everything with a transcendent purpose. And when he put his image in us, we realize that you and I have a purpose in life that's bigger than our own entertainment and bigger than what we can eat at noon. Yes. Amen. Okay. We have to live for more than that. There's something in us that cries for that. Number three, we have a universal sense of eternity. No civilization has ever existed from the beginning of time in recorded history that has ever believed there was no life after death. There have been uh, individuals within those cultures who have chosen to believe that, usually not not on the basis of evidence, but because they don't want to be accountable for anything beyond this life. But there's been no civilization that's ever lived that didn't believe in life after death. Why? Because God put that into our human nature because He is eternal and we've been created in His nature. We have that sense of eternity. And number four. We have, I said five. I'm going to give you four, actually. We have an undeniable and irrepressible hunger to connect with God. Every civilization that has ever lived has found it impossible to live without believing in a God of some form and having a desire to connect with Him. Haven't always chosen the right God, haven't always understood the truth about Him, but they find it impossible to deny the hunger that they have to connect with an eternal God. So whether you look at possible origins, you look at the design in the world, or you look inside at your own human nature, all the evidence points in one direction. There has to be a God. It would be unreasonable to believe otherwise. Let's go to our conclusion because this is where it gets down to where you and I live. The Bible says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he He created or made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And He determined the time set for them and the places where they should live. Now notice this. God did this so that men would what? Seek Him. I want you to underline that. God created everything. God did all of this stuff so that we would seek Him and reach out for Him and find Him though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live. And move and have our being. Here's what I want you to know about yourself God not only exists, He has placed in your heart a deep desire and a need to connect with Him. And until you and I actually do that, we will never be satisfied. You can't buy enough cars, you can't buy enough houses, you can't take enough trips, you can't go to enough sporting events. You can't play enough sports. You can't paint enough pictures. You can't take enough pictures. You can't do enough of anything to satisfy your human soul if it's not connected with the God who created you in His image. That's the truth. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for telling us not only the truth about Yourself, but literally scattering the evidence all over creation. Thank you that even when we look in the mirror, we are reminded that we have been made in your image and that it's unreasonable and even in many cases we're incapable of denying what is so evident and clear. Would you help us now to connect with you in ways we never have before? I pray in Jesus' name, amen.